Ion 2020, episode 221. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, y'all? It's Ray here, your host of Ion 2020. Thank you for joining me for another day in the 2020 election cycle. We are about a year out now from the election, and I will keep on going. I only got a little longer, it seems like to me. I'm about halfway there, basically, uh, from when I started this started this podcast. I have not figured out what I'm doing when I'm done with Ion 2020, though. Once the 2020 election hits, I'm just thinking to myself, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? If the Democrats get in, though, that'll be interesting because then I could do like an eye on um, socialism or something like that. I don't know. haven't really figured out how I would approach that. But you know they're going to be trying to enact all kinds of craziness. And that'll be interesting to see. And if if Donald Trump stays in office, then I wonder what his second term would be like as well. Because when you don't have to get reelected, you can pretty much um, act as crazy as you want. And if he hasn't been acting crazy already then you could guarantee that even his most ardent supporters might think that he's crazy by the time he's done with his second term if he gets if he sticks with a second term so we'll see what happens we really will uh, it'll be interesting for the next year to see how things play out though i heard some people doing i think it was on fox news earlier this week they were making predictions for the for a year out so predictions for the day after the election and they put it into, what do they call it, like a um, a time capsule. They were going to open it a year from now. And they were saying what who would win and how things would be or ho- how they hoped the America would be and all that. And one of them even said something to the effect of, like, I hope that we're still in a democracy and not like a um, a dictatorship by then. I think that was one of the more liberal hosts because everyone's freaked out about that. But the thing is, when people are freaked out about things that soon, like I don't think that you're not going to have a total dictatorship take over over the next year by any means. Um, things are pretty slow moving when it comes to anything to do with government. But then again, who knows? Because um, usually a dictator takes control swiftly and enacts uh, everything as fast as they can so that even the legislators can't get around it. So who knows? I mean, that, that, I guess it is possible. It absolutely is possible, but I would say that in a year from now, I would presume that I would, I hate to say it, I think that, I I do think that uh, a Democrat is probably going to end up winning. That's my, that's my feeling. And I'm almost feeling like it's going to be um, Pete Buttigieg, and I'm back on that train again where I'm thinking that Pete Buttigieg might actually get the nomination and I'll tell you guys why in a little bit I'll tell you guys why because I had a couple polls that came out and it's kind of showing some good signs for that guy but then again Joe Biden is still going strong in every single state except for the first couple states so uh, I wonder how that's going to affect the outcome because what happens is if you lose Iowa lose New Hampshire you got to win one of the next couple of states that come up come a, come around and we got 
three months until those major elections are happening, like the major, uh, like most of the states start doing their conventions and start doing their polling and all. So, like I know Iowa's about a about three months away for, right now, and then you're gonna have, or I think that's two months away right now, and then you have New Hampshire immediately after that. Then you have Mass, or then you have um, South Carolina and Nevada, but then you have a lot of stuff going on in February. And you'll start seeing tons and tons of um, things happen in February. And that's where you're going to start seeing a lot of the candidates that are in there. They're going to start dropping out. You're going to start seeing the front runners like Buttigieg, uh, Warren, Bernie Sanders, Biden. Like those four are pretty much, I think that they're going to be the last ones standing overall. And then you're going to start seeing the ones that are not getting a lot of votes. They're going to start dropping, dropping away as well. So you're going to have a situation where I'm thinking that in a year, I'm the way that they're beating up on Donald Trump, the way that they are just destroying this guy, I just have a feeling that uh, he's not going to be able to get through all this. And I think that it's going to end up being a bad situation for his reelection. And that's, I mean, the Democrats are really playing it, playing it right. Because if you think about it, if you think about what they're doing, they are leaking, like if you've seen it over the next, last couple of weeks, right? They're slowly leaking a little bit of information about what these people are saying during these closed-door meetings and these closed-door sessions that they're having about the whole Ukraine scandal and all that. They're bringing people in, they're questioning them, and then they're leaking a little bit slowly about what they talked about that day. And then they're leaking a little bit more slowly about what they talked about the next day. They leak a little bit more about what... So they're controlling the media on this thing. And then over the last couple of days, you've seen it again, where they're releasing the transcripts of one person. And they're getting... And they're, they're, they're prefacing it by what that person said, and then they're releasing it. And that's what the news media goes after. And then the next day, they release something else from another person's testimony. And they're selectively just releasing it day after day after day. And that's a strategy that they use in the press in order to change public opinion. Just like if you watch, if you ever watched that movie Snowden about Edward Snowden, that was the strategy that they used when he was going to release, or when he was going to whistleblow on all the stuff that the NSA was doing with the spying. They released a little bit one day, then they had a bunch of press coverage on it. Then the next day, they released a little bit more. And they were able to control the media cycle for like five days with that. And then at that point, they figured out it was Edward Snowden. They start going after him. And then you start seeing on the news and all that that he's going, he's in Hong Kong and he's flying over to Russia. And they're like, the press is waiting for him in Russia. And his idea is to get to, I think it was like Nicaragua or something, or Ecuador. That's what it is. He was trying to get to Ecuador. And they were like, that was like the big news media hype at the time. And automatically the government starts trying to, you know, spin it in a different way. But the media had already positioned it the way that it would come out. And they were able to control the, the way that it came out. So they were to control the perception that people had of this NSA spying thing that was going on. That's the same thing they're doing with the whole thing that's going on with the Ukraine scandal right now. And all the closed door questioning. They're able to control the media by leaking a little bit about what they talked about that day in those meetings. And then 
A week later, after they're done with all those closed-door sessions, they're able to leak the trans or leak, or they, they release the transcript. They release another transcript the next day. Why wouldn't they just dump it all at one time? Because they can't control the media that way. And it's brilliant. It's a good strategy that they're using. It's a strategy that I'm sure the, the Republicans wish they could use right now, but they can't because they're not controlling the entire session. But keep that in mind when you're listening to the news on what's going on with this whole Ukraine thing is that it's a strategy that they're using to control the perception that people have of what was said in those meetings. So whether it's right or wrong, whether it's whether Trump is innocent or guilty, whether he you know, he uh, he committed high crimes and misdemeanors or not, they're able to control the perception that you have or the public has in order to get their way. They love it. I'm sure the Democrats are loving what they're doing right now. But I don't know if he's going to be able to survive that. I don't know if Donald Trump will be able to survive that. I think that his supporters love him. I think that his supporters are going to come out in droves for the guy. But will it sway those independents that are in between? Will it sway those independents that are on one side of the fence or kind of hovering in the middle and push them over to the Democrat side? Like in Kentucky, they ended up electing a Democratic uh, governor a couple days ago when they had their election. And... It was a very moderate Democrat. So that puts it in place in the Democrats' minds that even a moderate Democrat can win some of these Republican states, these traditionally Republican states. And if that's the case, then that is great for Joe Biden, but it's bad for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, Warren, if she was nominated for the Democratic ticket, if she was going to be the Democratic nominee she would be able to get California, Oregon, like the, the, the coastal states on the West Coast. She'll be able to get the liberal states up in the Northeast. She'll get those no problem. Any Democrat will. But it's the, it's the, it's the center of the country. Those typical Republican states, that's the ones that Democrats need to win in order to get elected. And what's the easiest path to doing that? A moderate Democrat, someone that's perceived as a moderate. And who's perceived as a moderate in this race right now? Joe Biden, he's the moderate. Who's perceived as a moderate? Pete Buttigieg, he is not a moderate. If you look at his true blue beliefs, if you look at his beliefs, he's very liberal, but he's trying to position himself as the moderate in the race. And he's successfully done that. The press calls him a moderate. Even though he was a Bernie Sanders supporter in 2016. But he seems rational. He seems like somebody that's kind of in the middle. Kind of, you know, somebody that has a rational view of moving towards a progressive agenda. Uh, Seems like a moderate. So that's good for those people. It's not good for Bernie Sanders. It's not good for Elizabeth Warren. If you run somebody that's a moderate, you can possibly win. That's the thought process that Democrats are going to have now. So I don't know if Donald Trump will be able to survive that. Who knows? But he does have crazy supporters, guys. He brings people out in droves to these these uh, big 
rallies that he's having and stuff all over the country. And he's starting to ramp up a lots and lots of rallies now. He's going to state. I mean, he went to Mississippi and Louisiana, Kentucky. Like, he's been to places where he's just trying to get that support going, get those people excited about things. Fox News, man, they are all on it. They will show the entire speech that he gives. Like, they're... So, if, if they're still showing that stuff, then Donald Trump clearly has support because they wouldn't show it if it wasn't like that. You know, they're still talking positively about him on Fox News. So, I don't think that there's really the whole... I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think that there's really that whole... Um, only 30% of the people like him. I think it's still close to like 46, 47% of people probably still like the guy. And also it comes down to the economy, but will he be able to beat the Democrats if they keep on beating up on him for the next year? I don't know. But I am thinking that Pete Buttigieg will probably be the nominee. If not Joe Biden, I'll still give him that as well. Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden, those are the only two moderates that are still left in this. Maybe Amy Klobuchar. Who knows? We'll see. But she hasn't gotten any traction whatsoever. A little little side note, by the way. The next debate, which is in the end of November, um, Tulsi Gabbard got in, so that's good. And you, All the people that have been in all those debates last time, most of them are still in. But I think it's Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Tom St- Steyer. I believe he is in it as well. I saw a news article. I'm pretty sure that's the case. So we shall see. We, we shall definitely see. Uh, going forward that you're going to start seeing people drop out, but I just think that you're going to be looking at the moderates that are going to be the ones that are going to be propelled forward at this point. And Kentucky kind of proves it, but that's that's what the news media is saying. I don't know, but will Donald Trump win? We got a year until we'll find out, guys. We do. Um, what do y'all think about this? So South Carolina libertarians just voted and supported in support of a convention of the states uh, that was put into the, I guess, the South Carolina Libertarian Party has decided to embrace it and put it into their bylaws, I guess. I don't know exactly how they vote on it or whatever, but I was reading an article on that, and it seems like there's several states that are on board. you got Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Indiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas, North Dakota, Utah, Arizona, and Alaska, and now South Carolina, are on board with the idea of having a convention of the states. And that is based upon the Article 5 in the Constitution, which allows you to change the Constitution or amend the Constitution um, by having a convention of the states where three or two-thirds of the states have their legisla- legislators vote to have a convention and then at that point, once you get two-thirds that vote for it, then they meet together, have a convention of the states, so they can amend the Constitution. Now, a lot of people say, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't amend the Constitution. Or we, we can't allow a convention of the states, because then they could just rewrite the entire Constitution. But a lot of people freak out about having a convention of the states. And the challenge of having a convention of the states is that, yeah... What if they? What if you get a ton of just liberal states that come in there, and they have, they're able to change the entire constitution to like having all of the uh, the 
the rights that they want, like right to healthcare, right to education, right to this, right to that, right to, you know, food and shelter and clothing. And it's the government's responsibility to take care of that stuff. Like imagine if that happened bankrupt left and right. But what the conservative side wants to do, and I think what's the libertarian party was talking about as well, is having a convention in the States is going to lead to having term limits set on Congress people, having that where they, there's going to be an amendment that forces the government to have a balanced budget and certain fiscal responsible things that were never in the Constitution in the first place. And I think that's what they're trying to lead it on towards. And that would be a good thing, I think. That would be a good thing um, where you where you put some limits on, put more limits on the government and the way that they're able to spend money up there. And then also put limits on the Congress people on how long they're allowed to stay as congressmen as well. That would be interesting to see. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a constitutional scholar by any means, but... I would love to see something like this kind of pushed forward. And if you can get the right states on board, if you, I mean, you could get the conservative states on board without a problem, it sounds like to me. It's the other ones, the liberal states. And I'm looking at a map here, and it shows like California, Connecticut, New Hampshire, like things like that. Not New Hampshire, Vermont, like Washington, those more liberal states. Colorado, they are not even thinking about something like this. But a lot of the states are. There's um, the ones that I just mentioned are the ones that have passed a resolution, and then there's ones that have have already passed one chamber. You have West Virginia, um, Virginia, North Carolina, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Iowa, and New Mexico. A legislation has already passed the uh, the one chamber in those states. And then you have a number of them that have active legislation in 2019 as well to have a convention in the states. That's Oregon, Montana, Nebraska, Kansas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Delaware. You know, a lot of them do. Oh, and Hawaii even has one as well. And Alaska. Uh, Actually, Alaska has already passed that legislation as well. So having a convention in the states, that would be interesting. Uh, to see what happens. Uh, as a libertarian, we typically go with the idea that less government is better. As long as it was a convention that led to less government, I think I could be on board with something like that. But if it turned into some kind of piss and match on who could get the most stuff out of the federal government, um, we need to return that power that's on the federal government back to the states, and that's what they should use a convention to do. Absolutely, because the federal government has gotten out of control with spending, with corruption, with greed, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, moving on from that particular story though, I got one more thing about South Carolina politics that I wanted to bring up, just because it's front and center in my mind because that's it's all over the news and stuff. Um, we always say as libertarians, who's going to build the roads, right? Who's going to build the roads? Well, in Richland County, where I live in South Carolina, there was a resolution passed, and you guys have probably seen this in your states as well. They call it a penny tax, where the government comes and says, we're just going to have a tax one extra penny on everything you buy. So we're going to raise the sales tax from 6% to 7% on everything you buy. And then we'll have a penny tax. And that's going to go to pay for the roads. And it allows us to take out bonds to pay for the roads. And in South Carolina, there is um, when you have a single payer paying for all this stuff, when you have a single payer paying for the roads, then you put a lot of power 
into the hands of the legislators, right? You put a lot of power into the hands of the county commissioners and the people that are in that position. Well, it turned out that the county people that are in charge of these building these roads with this penny tax allocated like $40 million, $40 million to go towards it. And uh, they had to stop construction on like a ton of roads around the area because that money was lost, that money was sent to the wrong places, that money was just not spent in a way as if it was your own money. It was a bunch of legislators paying out bribes and stuff like that to their friends or giving stuff away to their friends or something, you know, where the highest bidder or the best bid was not the one that got it, but some random person got it that was uh, had a roads company or something like that, but he was more politically well-connected. So it turned out that there's a lot of corruption going on. There's actually a lawsuit that was filed on this whole thing as well. And it's interesting to see what happens, but they were trying to get information from the county uh, commissioners, and they were, they were asking them on the news. They were saying, hey, ever, as, as each of the county commissioners walked out of one of the meetings, they said, hey, can you tell us about what's going on? They're like, it's in litigation. I can't. Kept on walking. But those people are guilty as hell. Those people were guilty as hell walking out of there. They knew it. They knew it. And I just think it is just insane. But you know what? Who's going to build the roads? Well, some corrupt government who has political connections to this person and that person to make sure that they give that road that road contract to their buddy down the road who's going to be donating to their campaign, apparently. That's who's going to build the roads. That's who's going to build the roads. Yeah. We have a better way as libertarians. You guys know that. Let's privatize it. Let's put it in a position where it's a profit generating. There's a profit motive to generate a profit off of those roads so that they're run efficiently, run effectively. And you know, if there is corruption, it's not on the taxpayer's dime. You know what I mean? We'll find a different road to cruise down, I guess, in that case. But yeah, that's that's interesting, right? But so getting into the last topic that I wanted to cover, and I kind of alluded to it earlier as well. I wanted to tell you guys about the reason why I think Pete Buttigieg might be moving up, moving on up in these polls, guys. He is, and if you look at him, he's still nationally polling relatively low, around nine percent. There was a poll that came out, Monmouth poll. It had Warren at twenty three. Biden at 23, Sanders 20, Buttigieg 9, Harris 5, Klobuchar 2, right? And then you had another one, Economist poll that came out. You have Biden 26, Warren 25, Sanders 14, Buttigieg 8. So nationally, he's not doing that good. He's not strong. He's not the guy nationally. But listen, there's a Quinnipiac poll comes out in Iowa. Warren and... Biden have generally been neck and neck in Iowa, along with Sanders. He's up there as well. Check this out. Warren, 20. Buttigieg, 19. That's insane, right? So if you have, he's moved up significantly in Iowa. He is putting a lot of resources into Iowa right now. His average, the RCP average that he has, that's the real clear politics average, has him at 17.5% in Iowa. 
Warren 21.8%. So Warren might win Iowa, but she's slowly creeping down, it seems like to me. She was at 28% earlier this month in Iowa, with Buttigieg in a second place as well. Sanders is up there. Sanders might have to drop out if he doesn't get second or third, or first or first in one of these, either Vermont, or not Vermont, sorry, either New Hampshire or Iowa. If he doesn't, then he might have to drop out, and that dude has a ton of money. He should be spending a lot of it in those two states, because that's a must win for him, but... Buttigieg, man, I think he is definitely on track to win Iowa if he still continues to move up in the polls like he is in Iowa. And Iowa's a must-win. I mean, Iowa is not something that you have to win in order to win the nomination. That's just the first one that's done. And it's not even voting. It's uh, it's a basically uh i forget what they call it but it's like a a caucus is what it is and what you do is if you're in the caucus you go to like a caucus site and then they ask you who's voting for this person and they just do like a count through the room and then they count different you know everyone's gonna vote who's voting for Buttigieg, and you raise your hand who's voting for this person you raise your hand and uh whoever gets the most votes like that wins or something i think that's the way it works i could be completely wrong but it's not like they're just walking in and dropping a, you know, marking somebody's name on a poll at a polling site and then leaving. Nothing like that. So we'll see. I mean, this will be interesting. It's whoever can get the most people out to those sites, really, those caucus sites. It's whoever, that shows a lot of grassroots movement within your campaign if you get people out in Iowa as well. And those people get excited about it in Iowa. They really do, but we'll see how that works for him. Um, if he doesn't have a lot of excitement beyond, or behind his campaign, where Sanders does, then you might see Sanders win based upon that. Because how excited are you about going out and be, voting for Pete Buttigieg? Eh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Democrat, so I can't really tell you that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I think that in about a year or so, you might end up seeing Pete Buttigieg at least running against Donald Trump over the next year. And then it'll be interesting to see how Donald Trump reacts to Pete Buttigieg as well. It'll be really interesting. He is he is gay. And if he if Donald Trump ends up trying to make gay jokes against Pete Buttigieg, that might be a nail in the coffin. Because most people in America don't like being, you know, having somebody talk about something like that. To me, I wouldn't want to hear the president dissing on somebody just because of their sexuality. I think that would be a terrible thing. So it'll be interesting to see how Donald Trump tries to, uh, like he could call Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas all day. The woman claimed she was a Native American and literally put that into her college transcripts to try to get into college. Like she lied about it her entire life and then she ends up being a one one thousandth Native American or Indian. Come on. Yeah, you can do that to her all day. But if you start trying to beat up on Buttigieg because of his sexuality, eh, you can call Sleepy Joe Biden Sleepy Joe all day long. You know, that'll be interesting to see how Donald Trump labels Pete Buttigieg. And it'll probably turn a lot of people off if he goes after the sexuality. I guarantee you, Donald Trump's advisors are like, do not go after him on that. And I don't know that Donald Trump, he might be smart enough to realize that, but he might think that there's some kind of bias with his followers already where 
they might think, oh, yeah, well, you know, he can say whatever he wants to. So we'll see what happens. But, hey, guys, I appreciate you joining me for another day in the 2020 election. Uh, check it out. IonTheEmpire.com uh, is my website, okay? If you want to check out some news stories that I find and stuff, you could also follow me on Facebook and on Twitter by typing in I on the Empire. Email me if you like to as well, Ray at I on the Empire. And then uh, five-star rating and review always helps me out in order to make sure that we are seen when people search for Libertarian 2020 elections, okay? Uh, on you know on your podcatcher or whatever. So I appreciate you guys coming out and listening every day. Keep on so or keep on following the show and keep on listening. You'll have clear vision for 2020.